Now, we've been in this series, as I mentioned, called The Games That We Play. And we all like to play games, most of us do. But in a game, there's usually winners and losers. And so if you apply that to relationships, even though you think you win, nobody wins. So you, you lose, you know, when it comes to relationships. So some of the toxic games that we find ourselves playing, and it doesn't matter where you're married, not single, kids, no single, you know, no, no, no kids, uh, rich, poor, it doesn't matter what your status, you know, relationally in life is, here are some games that we played. First, the change game, right? If other people would just think, act, behave and say what I think act and should you should say, then we'd all get along. And so what we try to, amen, I love that. And so what we try to do is we try to subtly or not so subtly change people around us to make them like us, realizing actually the best way to change someone is actually to accept them. Yeah, is the first step of anybody's change, and it's, it comes from acceptance from God. So if you didn't miss that from a couple weeks ago, it's online. Last week, I uh, had a great one called the blame game. The blame game. I wouldn't have if you hadn't, right? I wouldn't have if you hadn't. Now, I don't know about you, but the blame game stuck with me all week long. You can ask uh, my family. You know, we just kept saying, blame game, blame, 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 blame. You know, and I started looking in my own life going, man, I either noticed how much I blame or I noticed how much other people blame. Is anybody else like that, you know, this last week? Okay, so I'm not alone in that. I was in the coffee shop on Wednesday, you know, and a gal came up to me and says, you will not believe how much the blame game has stuck with me in our family this week. I said, well, why? What's going on? She goes, it just happened. She goes, I was on my way to where I needed to be. My husband called me and said, hey, can you bring, I left something in the back seat. Can you bring it to the South Hill for me? She said, no problem. Love you. Love to be able to do it. So she's on her way to the South Hill and her app goes off uh, indicating that there's somebody at her front door. So she has one of the doorbell you know, apps that reveals that. Well, it happens to be her sister. And her sister is bringing her kids who she was supposed to be watching during that time. So she just told her sister in a panic, I'll be there as soon as I can. And so she sped up to the South Hill so she could get back and take care of her sister. She then got pulled over by the police officer. No joke. Pulls her over, uh, comes up to the window and, and asks the normal question, ma'am, do you know how fast she was going? She says these words. Yes, I was in church this last week and I was told I was not supposed to blame anyone for anything and so I sped and it's my fault. <laughs> to which the officer said, I've never heard this before. I have literally never heard this before. But then he said this, but I'm still going to have to give you a ticket. So she was so bummed, you know, and so gets the ticket and she, she, she rolls up her window and she starts, you know, on her way and her husband calls, says, how's it going? And she says, if you wouldn't have put your thing in the backseat of my car, I wouldn't have got a ticket. And the blame game continues, right? And so like, what a great example, you know, again, it's, well, it's your fault that I got the ticket and we continue to play that blame game. So again, listen last week if you missed any of that. So the third game that we all play that hurts relationships is the comparison game. The comparison game. And this is a, a real doozy, and it's a deadly one when it comes to our relationship with God, with other people, as well as our view of ourselves when it comes to this idea of the comparison game. It's in relationships that says, I'm better than, equal to, or less than someone else. We start thinking and then living the comparison game when we start either saying or believing these words, that I'm not good enough, smart enough, pretty enough, have enough, athletic enough, or not successful enough, etc., compared to, or it's the other side of the same coin. I'm better than, 
smarter than, prettier than, have more than, more athletic than, more successful than compared to. And so when you play either side of that game, you're actually going to be in a game that's going to be detrimental to those relationships or detrimental to yourself. In fact, I asked on social media, uh, where do you find yourself playing the comparison game? Where does that most show up? And here's what was fascinating for me is uh, that you began to categorize based on male and female. That there seem to be some specific categories. Now we know these are just generalities that kind of seem to fit in there. Let me give you a few examples. Many ladies said it was weight, looks, parenting, or just plain Pinterest. And I was like, well, that's interesting. You know, the, the look on social media and recognizing how do these ladies have it all together and I don't seem to in whatever I am looking at. Another gal said, well, I'm at the gym right now, so you can fill in the blank in terms of the comparison game. Uh, another groups of people said working mom compared to stay-at-home mom and vice versa. This comparison game, and it continues. Guys, you know, uh, started out, number one answer was vehicles. You know, the vehicles, comparison of vehicles, like cars, trucks, boats, RVs, and yes, even lawnmowers. You know, there's a <laughs> comparison. Do I have the most, you know, whatever tech gadget or whatever, you know, kind of thing guys have. Uh, houses were mentioned, success at work, you know, or comparison with other dads. Uh, here's one that showed up a couple different times on the guy side and not as much on the gal side. Comparison of our kids' athletic, academic, or social status compared to other kids. So how easy it is to look around, where does my kid compare to other kids in those ways? Or comparing the man who fixes things versus the man who knows someone who can fix things. <laughs> or maybe that's just mine. <laughs> you know, that's just <laughs> one I threw in there. Uh, we even compare what cities that we're from, right? And, and we either say it with pride based on a comparison game, or we say it with a little bit of uh, uh, shame, or we don't want really people to know. Like, I'll be honest with you. Uh, most of you um, think that I was born in Seattle and I was not. You know, I was raised in Seattle and I don't like to tell people, you know, that uh, for three months I was actually somewhere else in the world. You know, a place that I wouldn't be like, yes, I am so glad that I am from that place. I'd rather say that I was raised in Seattle. Uh, that place was Johnson City, Tennessee, you know, and so... <laughs> For not Nashville, that'd be cool, you know, uh, not Knoxville, that'd be a little better, you know, but Johnson City. And so that's, that's where I was born, you know, and, and I guess I'm not the only one who feels this way. I, was, uh, I saw a different gal, you know, uh, who told me this week that she was born and raised in a place called Tico. Tico. Some of you guys know where Tico, Washington is. And then she said this, but at least I'm not from Leta. <laughs> right? Like for every Tico, there's a Leta. You know, everybody's got a chance to compare, like, well, at least I'm not from that place. Same person said, if beautiful, successful, wealthy, talented, and athletic people would just die off and give us normal people a chance, that'd be great. <laughs> Comparison game at its finest. Even in business, you know, uh, you lose and you play the comparison game. For example, a consultant, you know, over the last five years went to Apple, you know, corporations, and they asked Apple, what's your vision? What's your purpose? Why do you exist? And by and large, even though with all the tech gadgets, they said, our purpose is to change the world. We want to change the world. That's a pretty big vision. So the same consultant went to Microsoft, you know, and same time, same time frame. Well, what's your purpose? Why do you exist? Why are you excited to be around? You know what they said over and over and over? We want to beat Apple. One's comparing with another, and the other one is focusing and not even giving a second thought 
to how they compare with one another. Now, I'm a fairly competitive person. There is a big difference between competition and comparison. Competition is great. Competition is healthy, can be. Competition can help you strive to be better. The Bible even talks about not to run a race to get a participation award, but to run to win, you know, to actually do your best as to do it unto the Lord, not just to exist, but to actually strive to actually be the best in whatever it is that God has created or, or, or called you to be in. So competition is, can actually be really, really good. But when you compare and determine where you're at in life or whatever we're comparing with other people is when you find out that's hurting your relationship with God, other people, and yourself. It's a big difference between the two. Like, for example, I picked up, uh, since I came to Valley Real Life, this thing called triathlon sprints. Triathlon sprints. Those of you who don't know what a triathlon is, you know, it's a swim, a bike, and a run. Now, somebody of you guys would say, that's Ironman. I said, no, no, I emphasize sprints because that's like um, for little boys, you know, and so I'm in not the uh, triathlon man side, I'm on the boy side, you know, because they're really short, they're shorter distances, you know, and so if I am trying to get better, if I'm trying to compete, that's really good. I'm trying to excel on a regular basis, but if I compare myself to a Kenny and Eric, a Jeremy and others of you who are in this, I would quit the sport, you know, because I'm like, I can't measure up because I'm comparing myself instead of just competing with where I'm at. Now, I'm going to be really honest and transparent with you. As pastors, we do this as well. In fact, uh, I'm going to be going to a conference in just a couple weeks, and uh, it, it's, a, it's a lead pastor's conference. And here's what always happens. It may happen in your field, you know, as well, and you get the chance to meet, you know, other people, and, and here's what you know. People are trying to find out the one comparison that pastors love to do with other, other pastors how big's your church, right? right? So how big's your church? They try to find that out. Like, well, you know, hey, we're, we're 300. Well, we're, we're 700. Oh, well, we're 1,500. Or we're 3,000. Or we're 100,000, you know, whatever it may be. Here's like, oh my gosh. And you, there's this comparison game. Now, that's not where I fall into the trap with these guys. I actually kind of laugh, you know, because that's not an area. And I'm like, really? Is that, that, run, your, run, run your own race. You know, do what, do what God's called you to do. That's not, your, that's not what you'd be focused on. But here's where I fall into the trap with these same guys. They'll ask the question, either one-on-one -on -one or in a group, what's God been doing in your life? And I'm like, ooh, okay, yeah, what's God been doing? Hey, adopted a child this last year. All the guys go, yeah, that's great. Praise God, you're doing what God's called you to do. I'm like, yeah, that's great. Well, Steve, you know, why don't you stand up? Why don't you tell him what you're doing? He's like, oh, that's funny. We adopted six kids this year. <laughs> and I'm like, ah, I suck again. You know, you're just like... I thought I was doing well. I'm going to invite, I'm going to do seven. You know, you're just like this competition thing. Or, or we'll say, hey, we had a $100,000 offering, you know, that the Christmas Eve that is going outside these walls of these three, you know, countries, you know, and somebody else will stand up and say, we had a $500,000 offering. So I'm like, oh, you know, I get so mad, you know, because we're like, well, next year we're going to do better. And, and, or we had a thousand, you know, bags that went to Uganda and, and, and to go to these kids to let them know, these orphans that God loves them and so do we. And then somebody else will inevitably stand up and said, well, we adopted the entire country of Colombia. And I'm like, <laughs> man, we were so short. We're not doing what we, you know, and that's the comparison game that I can find myself falling into as well. Now, we do this in social settings. When you meet somebody for the first time or other times, there seems to be this one-upmanship. You know this, well, well, here's my story, and here's what, well, what do you do for a living? And we're, when they ask their questions, and well, here's what I do. And so instead of me describing this, I think you could all relate to this instead. So go ahead and watch the screen with me now. 
Why do people need to top other people? I've never understood it, and I see it all the time. Obviously, people get something out of it. At best, people wait for your lips to stop. Yeah, as soon as... Okay, yeah, you, me! You, me! You see the difference? You see, you see that? Now I do. What is it about the human condition? People get something out of that. That's why I have a social fantasy. I wish I was one of the 12 astronauts who have been on our moon. They must love knowing they can beat anybody's story whenever they want. They can sit back quietly at a dinner party while some other person, some me monster's doing his thing and let him go. Let him run with the line while you be quiet. Oh, really? <laughs> Let him have his moment. Yeah, I'm a big traveler. I have my business all. I got my own global enterprise. I got to check on. You know, driving in the Autobahn because I keep a fleet of sports cars over in Zurich. You know, there's a Swiss account that I'm going to check out. Mount Kilimanjaro expedition. Might have to cancel that. You know, runways in Aspen are a lot shorter the first time you go in there. You know, the Pacific Rim Company. I'm going to try to take that over. And global enterprise. I walked on the moon. Oh, well, you have the floor, moonwalker. <laughs> you know, you mentioned driving on the Autobahn. That reminded me. Once I was driving in the sea of tranquility. <laughs> in my lunar rover. And I, too, was worried about our speed till I remembered, why? we're the only ones on the moon. <laughs> right? You know, it's, a, it's a hilarious thing, but this is what we do. We find ourselves constantly comparing ourselves with other people. It happens in Christian circles as well. On a regular basis, uh, uh, there's so many, I, 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 it has to happen at least once a month, where somebody feels like my testimony isn't as good as somebody else's. I wish I had, I mean, you're comparing, you're coming to Christ with somebody else's. I wish I had, I had this great testimony. And so it's almost like in a circle, somebody says, you know what, I, I tried drugs one time and Jesus saved me from that. You're like, oh, that's great. And somebody else stands up, well, I, I tried and I was addicted to drugs for like 10 years. And everybody's like, wow, that's amazing that Jesus, you know, helped you from that. And then it was, well, I, I was addicted to drugs for 10 years and I sold drugs for five more. And everybody's like, whoa, that's amazing. Somebody else says, well, I am Pablo Escobar. You know, you're just like, this is just crazy, this whole top that testimony that we kind of get in. Like, well, ooh, look at this. We, we compare where we're at in our Christianity, and we're not the only, this has been going on for generations. Jesus had 12 followers, these 12 guys, and one day they're walking along, and Jesus looks back and says, hey, what, what are you guys, what are you talking about? Oh, we're arguing. What are we arguing about? Um, we're a little embarrassed to say, Jesus, but we're arguing about who's the greatest. Jesus was like, are you kidding me? I pulled you guys out of nothingness. I mean, you're tax collectors and fishermen and, you know, these lower caste society people, and you're arguing, you're comparing with one another about who's the greatest follower of Jesus? He goes, guys, you're missing the entire point. In fact, uh, he decides to go in and tell this story. If you have your Bibles, look with me to Luke chapter 18. And it's going to be uh, in your Bible apps if you have that. Again, we have Bibles as a gift from us to you. This one will not be on the screen. And it's a story that Jesus tells 
which really, you know, exemplifies this idea of what God thinks when it comes to the comparison game. In Luke chapter 18, Jesus tells this story. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, right? So one would be like a religious leader. You could even say even a pastor of sorts. Uh, the other was a despised tax collector. And I don't think like IRS agent. Think somebody who's done a lot of bad things over a long period of time, okay? Uh, especially when it came to relationships. Uh, the Pharisee stood by himself and he prayed this prayer, most likely out loud, and this is what he would pray. I thank you, God, that I am not like other people. See the comparison game? It's already started. Cheaters, sinners, adulterers. I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give you a tenth of my income. Now, nothing's wrong with fasting twice a week or giving a tenth, but the comparison game is at issue here. For this is what Jesus says, but the tax collector stood at a distance and he dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. There's no comparison going on. I tell you, Jesus says, this sinner, not the Pharisee, returned home justified before God. You think God likes the comparison game? You think he thinks it's healthy for us in relationship with him and with other people? No. And you know this to be true, whether you're a Christian or not. You know this to be true. Comparison leads to pride, envy, jealousy, bitterness, and even bouts of depression. When you start comparing yourself to others around you. There isn't a positive thing. There's not a single positive thing that comes out of comparison. Competition, yes. Doing better, yes. But not in the comparison game. Comparison kills our joy. It kills our peace. Proverbs 14 verse 30 says, A peaceful heart leads to a healthy body. Jealousy is like cancer in the bones. It's like cancer in the bones. And so speaking of cancer, comparison is like cancer to contentment. If you're in a comparison game on a regular basis, the more you play that game, the less you'll be content in any area of your life. Whatever it is that you're comparing yourself, you'll never be content. I'm not saying, say, satisfied or status quo. I'm just saying having the ability to give thanks regardless of the situation or circumstance, which is why in 1 Thessalonians 5, the Bible says, give thanks in all circumstances for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. That we'd find ways to give thanks with wherever we're at. It's the idea, and you've heard it said this way, the grass is greener on the other side kind of mindset. You're looking around, trying to say, ooh, what they have, what they do, what they look like, what the, whatever it may be that you're comparing yourself to. Or the keeping up with the Joneses, right? Financially trying to get to a certain part based on, not based on how God has wired you, but based on where somebody else is so that you might look good in their eyes, per se. Uh, could it be that some of the reasons maybe even the main reason, that we have affairs, that we, that we struggle with certain types of depression, that we go into major debt, it's because at the heart of it, we're playing the comparison game. And we think if the grass must be greener, there must be something more because I'm not content with my spouse, with my kids, with my job, with what, whatever it may be, that I see that it might be better over there. And so we go over there, not realizing it's not as good as I thought or what I hoped. See, what happens is, we compare what we see with our reality. You do, do you see that in your life, right? So I see somebody, I, I see a marriage, and I'm like, ooh, they've got a beautiful marriage. Or, or their kids, or, or your social media is the best at this. We see these glimpses of things, and I compare what I see with my reality. 
And I'm like, whoa, they seem to have so much good that's going on. You don't know their reality. You have snippets. You have the highlight reel. And so you're comparing the highlight reel with the reality of your life. And we find ourselves in constant comparison. See, Philippians chapter 4, verse 11 says this, Not that I was ever in need, for I've learned to be content whatever I have. See, I know how to live on almost nothing or with everything. This is the same guy that said, to run a race but to win the prize. He's not talking about not striving for more. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or empty with plenty or little. He says, here's the secret of contentment. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. See, when I focus on the right things, it keeps me from comparing the wrong things. When I focus on the right things, it keeps me from comparing the wrong things. Like uh, right now, uh, we're in the process of teaching my son how to drive. Okay, if you've ever been around new drivers, uh, there's a commonality that takes place with a lot of new drivers. Not all of them, but a lot of them. Uh, when you're on the freeway, you know, and you're teaching them how to drive on the freeway, and you say, all right, it's time to pass this person, a new driver will inevitably get into the left lane, and they'll begin to pass. But as they're passing, they don't know, because, so that what they begin to do is they begin to look at the vehicle in which they're passing. So they're going out, and they're passing, and they're passing, and they're passing. You're like, no, no, straight, straighten out, straighten out. No, don't look, at, don't look at who you're passing. You need to stay in your lane, right? Some of you guys know that phrase, stay in your lane. You know exactly where I'm going with this. When you stay in your lane and focus on the race that God has for you, to focus on those things, you'll find yourself not comparing and turning into the person and finding yourself in a ditch or crashing because you're focused ahead instead of to the right or to the left. Uh, this isn't unfamiliar. In the Old Testament, there's a guy by the name of Saul, uh, King Saul. And, and he was king for a while, and God says, you know what, we're going to have David be king. And that wasn't the issue in Saul's life. You know, the downfall that came into Saul's life was he started to hear a song. And the song was by the people. The people began to sing this song, and they said, Saul has killed his thousands. So imagine that. They're like, whoa, yeah, thanks, guys. I killed my thousands. But then the song didn't end there. But David has killed his tens of thousands. And so all of a sudden, comparison got into his heart. You ever felt that way growing up? If you just be like your older brother, and so all of a sudden, instead of focusing on who you are, you're now trying to compare yourself to who he is instead of who you've been created to be. Ever been down that road? So we're comparing ourselves instead of being the person that God has called us to be. And how do I know that this became his undoing? Well, in 1 Samuel chapter 18, verse 9, it says this. So from then, that time on, after this song was sung, Saul kept a jealous eye on David. So his eye was no, no longer focused on being the king and the kingdom and with the direction and the path and the lane that God had called him to, 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 to drive in. But now it was always on David. And that became consuming for him and became his major downfall. See, who are you racing? That's the question. Who are you setting your eye on? Even now, as you think back to yesterday or this last week, where do you find yourself comparing with other kids? If you're in middle school, is it other kids athletically? You know, socially, academically? If you're a little older, is it parenting? Is it, you know, is it success at a certain age or stage? Is it, you know, I wish I was single? I mean, I wish I was single. That's true, too. You know, I wish I was married. You know, the married people sometimes think, I wish I was single. There's this comparison that goes on and on, and on. See, who are you racing? See, hopefully you realize by now that you know that this comparison game, because we could spend the next 30 minutes of getting an example, example, example. Comparison game hurts. 
It hurts you, it hurts relationship with God, it kills relationship. So the question becomes, how do I reduce the comparison game in my life? That's what we've been trying to answer in each one of these games. How do I reduce this? So if you're asleep, wake up. Here's the one point I want you to get before you get out of here. Here it is. Keep your eyes on Jesus and run your race. Keep your eyes on Jesus and run your race. Not social media, not Pinterest, not other people. On Jesus and run your race. Uh, how many of you, and I'm sure most of you, but just humor me for a second. How many of you guys have ever been on a treadmill? Treadmill? Raise your hand. Okay. So this time of year, you know, uh, when it comes to running outdoors, uh-uh, I'm not hardcore. I go inside, you know, uh, if it's below 40 degrees, I'm on a treadmill a couple times a week. So inevitably, I'm on a treadmill and uh, I start my normal, you know, running and I'm running normal pacing and normal, you know, uh, angle, you know, that I'm trying to get, you know, uh, just, just so I can get the feel of what it would be outside. And so I put it at a certain angle and I start, I start to get in a rhythm until I notice somebody running next to me. And they're on a different treadmill. And they're running a little bit faster. And so there's a part of me that I'm starting to get distracted because they're running faster. And so my, my, my ability goes from competition now to comparison. And so I'm not longer just being competitive. I'm now comparing and I'm getting distracted from what I'm trying to do because now I want to keep up with them. And I won't lie that there's been a couple times that I have turned it up a little bit more. And to try to keep up. And then I almost die. <laughs> Yesterday was the worst. My wife can attest to this. It's on the treadmill. I was doing fine. Two girls, not women, two girls, must have been ages 11 to 13, get on the two treadmills to my right. And I don't know what bionic woman, you know, has given birth to these two, but they just put it at a height and choo, 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 choo. And I'm just running there going, I suck. I'm just so <laughs> terrible. And I'm like, I know they're laughing at me, you know, and, and all that kind of stuff. So I'm even making stuff up in my mind and I'm having a terrible run because I'm comparing myself to 11 to 13 year old girls, you know, who are running next to me. And it does make me feel like I want to quit, but I can't, you know, be in that comparison game. Now, here's the funny thing about treadmill. You're working really hard and you're sweating, but you do realize that you've not gone anywhere, right? <laughs> that you literally have not gotten any further than when you first stepped on that treadmill. And that's exactly what comparison is. As you're working hard, you're sweating, you're trying to do whatever you can in this comparison game, and then all of a sudden it will hit you, and I hope it hits you today, that it has not gotten you any further in any place that God would have for you as we look to the right and to the left. Keep our eyes on Jesus and run our race. Hebrews 12 says it this way, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great, great, huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith. Let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up. Don't miss it. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this. How? By keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Focus on Jesus and run your race. When we understand who we are and our purpose, we stop comparing. We stop comparing. See, when you fix your eyes on Jesus, maybe for the first time, maybe today that will be your experience, to say, I'm going to choose to have my eyes, my focus in life, that's what it means to fix on, to have my focus in life to be on Him. Now, you realize what you focus on is, is more likely who you become. 
So I'm going to focus on Jesus. I'm going to fix my eyes on Jesus. We get a chance to be adopted, but we get adopted into his family. So we don't have to compare families anymore. We can say, wow, I'm a part of his family. In fact, John 1:12 says, but to all who believed him and accepted him, he gave them the right when they accepted Jesus to become children of God. Remember, we've talked about this before. We are all made in the image of God, but you might hear outside these words, but we're not all children of God. We're all made in the image of our children. The Bible doesn't say we're children of God, only when we're adopted in his, his, into his family when we accept Jesus Christ. That's what the Bible says. Not what Dan says, that's what the Bible says. And, and so we get to be a part of his family. Now here's the coolest thing. That means your dad is the king of kings and lord of lords. If you want to compare, you win. Right? When you're a part of that family, there's no greater family that you could possibly ever be a part of, both in this side and that side of eternity. And then he says, as a child, you and I also have a purpose. Just like your kids have a purpose besides being part of the family. They may be part of the family, bear the last name, but there's a reason why they're in their family. There's a purpose in which they have, just like we are a part of the family of God. Psalm 52, 7, or 57 verse 2 says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. See, comparison will consistently cloud the clarity of God's call in our lives. Consistently. If you ever want to be confused on what God has for you in your life, compare yourself with others. We're not the only ones. You think about these people in the Bible, you're like, man, they have amazing faith. No, they're just human like you and I. Peter, right? Oh my gosh, rock, we're going to build the church on. What an amazing follower of Jesus. And yet when Jesus tells him and says, Peter, this is going to be the rest of your life. You're going to have to do some, some hard things and you might even die for my sake as you follow me, fix your eyes on me and run the race that I have marked out for you. Peter's response was not, thank you, Lord, for the calling you've given me. Thank you for the race. The first thing out of Peter's mouth is Peter asked Jesus, well, what? what about him, Lord? He's looking at John. He's like, well, what about that dude? How come I got to go through this? What about him? And Jesus replied, if I want him to remain alive until I return, what is that to you? As for you, run your race. Follow me. See, instead of looking at the greener grass, it's time for us to water our own lawns, to recognize where God has planted us. Now, there's two types of calling that we might, might get confused in Scripture. What's the purpose in which God has for us? Well, there's two types. One is a universal call. The universal call that if you fix your eyes on Jesus and you'll be adopted into his family, is to become more like Jesus every day. That, that's everybody's call. Yours, mine, anybody who calls themselves a follower of Christ is called to become more like Jesus every single day, to love, to serve, to live more like him. We focus on him. Now, we do that you know, with the things that you're doing even today. You say, church is going to be a priority. I can learn and grow and be challenged to become more like him. Getting in a smaller group is essential so that people get to know you and you get to know them and you get to walk this journey together, which is why Jesus had 12. Yeah, he spoke to the multitudes, but he really invested in one another and modeled that for us. And maybe even out of the small group, you might have some people that'll encourage you to spend daily time with God. Where do I look? And they'll walk you through. Where, how do I look at the Bible and let God speak to me daily? How, do I, how am I led daily by his spirit so it's not just a, an event or place I go to? So when you accept Christ, his spirit goes inside of us and he leads and guides us. And there's many more ways to keep us focused on the universal call to be more like Jesus. But you do realize that there is a unique call for you. Unique call. Who God created you uniquely to be and do. You may have heard this before. You're the only one that has ever existed and ever will exist in the history of humanity. 
You are the only one. We are so busy trying to live up, be like, compared to what other people say or do what we think, whatever it may be, that we forget, I am unique. There has never been, nor will there ever be a me in all of humanity, and that's God's intention, that he has something special for you, for absolutely for you. Now, there is a huge difference between a career and a calling. See, a career you get paid to do, but a call you are made to do. See, God has called you. He's given you everything that you need to be the person he wants you to be, to run the race that he wants you to run, to be the person that he wants you to be. Not like the other person, the left or right, besides all of us trying to be like Jesus, but something specifically designed for you. Galatians 6.4 says, pay careful attention to your own work, for then you will get the satisfaction of a job well done, and you won't need to compare yourself to anyone else. See, you are created by God, and you are worth so much to him. You you are a Picasso on steroids. You may not see yourself that way, but that's how God sees you. You are his masterpiece, every single individual in this place and in this world. He says it this way in Ephesians chapter 2, for we are God's masterpiece. He's created us anew in Christ Jesus, when you fix our eyes on him, so that we can do good things he's planned for us long ago, to run the race, to be more like Jesus in every way you can, but to run the race that he's called you to be. Uh, Like, let me give you an example of how this looks. I hate when people say I'm just. Uh, I'm just a stay-at-home mom. And you, you can see almost this apologetic when you get into social situations. Well, I'm just a janitor. I'm just a nurse. I'm just a student. I'm just a middle schooler. I'm just a, I hate that phrase. So I just want to say, no, you're not just. Do you realize when somebody says, I'm just a stay-at-home mom? No, you're not. You're supposed to be Jesus to the next generation of kids to be more like him. That's quite an honor. That's an eternal honor of significance. Somebody says, well, I'm just a junior high. I'm a middle schooler. I'm just a high schooler. I'm like, no, you're not. You're supposed to be Jesus, what Jesus would look like if he was going to middle school and if he was going to high school. That's what it's supposed to look like. Well, I'm just a teacher. I'm a social worker. No, you're not. You're not just those things. You're supposed to be Jesus in those areas of business or employment to show the world how Jesus would teach, how Jesus would be in the social sector, how Jesus would be in business, how Jesus would be in nursing. That's who you are. You're not just. You're a masterpiece that takes place in Christ Jesus. That's the beauty of this, and we cheapen it when we compare, and we lessen it, and we get distracted, and we get off the race. Stay in your lane and focus on Jesus instead of worrying about the races that other people, in terms of comparing with them, you stay in the lane that he's called you to run, and you'll find yourself at peace and fulfillment, joy. You'll find yourself in connection regardless of what takes place in your life. You'll find yourself exactly where you should be regardless of the circumstance. That's the beauty of getting out of the comparison game. So we're going to call up our worship team, and we're going to do something different today. Uh, they're going to come, they're going to lead us in a song. And as they lead us in the song, I'm going to ask you guys to remain seated. And I just want you to process where you're at in the comparison game. Where do you find yourself? You know, what are the voices that you find yourself listening to? The one internally, you know, that says I'm better than or less than? The ones externally, 
you know, where you hear what other people are comparing because it really doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what other people think or say. It only matters what God says. And do you choose to believe what he says?